Wow. Good morning. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome. We want to thank our listeners continually. And we want to just welcome everyone to our seat, our table leadership lounge. This is our seventh episode. Seventh episode. I am so excited. Andrew Brown, LaVonda Wilder, and myself, who are the hosts, Andrew hosts the Artist Spotlight. LaVonda is the host of the Business Spotlight. And of course, I host the History and the Community Spotlight. So it gives us great pleasure that we can continue to bring robust, informative programming to our listeners on what our community builders and leaders in our community are doing to continue our communities and neighborhoods pushing forward in this time during the pandemic, as well as a time of protest around Black Lives Matter. Today, we have a jam-packed show for you. We have went out to Newtown, Sarasota. We have the community historian, uh, Walter Gilbert, who will be joining us and giving us the history of the African-American community in Sarasota. We have with us Kristen Fuwali Thomas, who is a local organizer with Equal Ground Initiative. She will be talking about a new program, Take the Lead, for young African-Americans who are interested in becoming political leaders. Our artist spotlight is none other than Mika King with Central Florida's Entertainment Advocacy Group, where she's the local organizer. For our business spotlight, we have joining us Ray Worthen, who is our local farmer. So we are so excited. And then, of course, our call to action. It is February. And I don't know about anyone else, but I believe I started this the beginning of the year just kind of, I always say, like a racehorse out of the gates. So we have brought in Rosemary Johnson to give us some techniques on how we can maintain our sanity through healthy breathing. She is a certified yoga instructor, so I need everything she has to offer. So with no further ado, I am going to introduce to our listeners community historian Walter Gilbert from Newtown, Sarasota. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for taking the time in which to join us. Tell us about Newtown. Give us a a lot of people are when when you hear Sarasota, they are definitely not realizing that there is a historic African-American community that is thriving there. Newtown, Sarasota is a, as you said, thriving black community. It's been in existence since 1910. And it was a community that was, it's got its birth from the original black community here in Sarasota that was known as Overtown. Overtown was just what it says. It was over from downtown. So in the process of Sarasota growing, the powers to be figured out that that was too close to them, if you know what Mm -hmm. I mean. So in 1910, they plotted Newtown which was on the northern, most northern boundaries of the city of Sarasota. And that's how Newtown came to exist. Correct. Now, I know one of the things, surprisingly, in Newtown, and I read this, um, in, in I know that you all have a book, Newtown Alive, where 
at one particular yes. point, you did not have adequate representation up until maybe four or five years ago. Am I correct? In government? It was actually been about 20 years ago. Uh, what happened with that situation, as you know, in most communities, especially in the South, uh, during uh, the end or the civil rights era, we became politically more active. And one of the problems was, you know, our numbers were less. So we were always outnumbered at the ballot box, even though we had a substantial community that didn't have any type of say on city boards and councils of that type of nature. So at the time I was president of the Sarasota branch, this was um, of the NAACP back in 1982. And uh, we decided we needed to change that and we had to figure out a way to do it. Mm -hmm. So other places in the country, other cities and, and municipalities was suing the cities and county governments in federal court to, to get representation. And we picked that mantle up and, and we did the same thing here in the city of Sarasota. And we eventually won through some hard work and sacrifice because we had to prove in federal court that a black person couldn't get elected at large. Correct. And uh, somebody had to be that guinea pig to prove that. So I ran for city commissioner three times and lost three times in order to prove that case in, in federal court which we did and that's why we have the system we have now which is single member district voting correct 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 that story sounds very familiar winter park the city of winter park is also experiencing that exact same situation what was some of the forms or type of what's the industry there that African Americans, the work industry that African Americans participate in? What what's the industry? The original black people that came here in the late 1800s were black people that came here to work because at that time Florida was a a state that was opening up. There was industries that black people from South Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi were used to doing during slavery time and reconstruction. And that was farming and construction and railroad work. So the black people that came here to Sarasota and came to Florida in general were those people. The uh, attraction to Florida was it wasn't South Georgia, it wasn't Alabama, it wasn't Mississippi, and all that went with that. Correct. Even though Florida was still the South, it wasn't those places. Even though it still had Jim Crow and all that crap that went with that, it wasn't those places. And there was work here. So they could come here and they could go work on the salary farms, they could work on the railroads, they can build what Sarasota is, the bridges, the the homes, the condos, the stuff along the, the beaches and stuff, they could work in those construction sets and still, you know, have a good living, so to speak. There was never been a shortage of work here in Sarasota for Black people. Correct, correct. So they were what we like to say in Winter Park, they were the laborers. They to build this thriving Sarasota that we see and we enjoy now. And, and I don't even use the word help. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they build it. Builders. Okay. They were they the builders. Build 
Yeah. You know, they were the domestics. They were they they built it. Correct. Yeah, makes sense. So I I have also read. I've been keeping up. I know that you do the tours. You do the tours of historic Newtown. Tell us a bit about that, Mr. Gilbert. Well, part of what, uh, and you mentioned Newtown Alive, part of what uh, we do with that is, uh, you know, we know that our history is not shared or taught as, as well and as much as it should be to an entire community. You know, even even in our own community, a lot of our history is not known. So part of what we're doing, and, and we're going to take this right into the school system and everything here, is to educate the entire Sarasota. Because in Sarasota, most of these people here are from somewhere else. Correct. You know, uh, if you find a person that was born in Sarasota, they're probably Black. Okay. So... Uh, with that being said, there most a lot of people want to know what happened here, why why the city looks like it does, why we live where we live, where we live has a history, and uh, that's being shared on these trolley tours with anybody and everybody that wants to learn. Okay, wonderful. Now I also see where you have the Sarasota. African American Museum that will be opening. Tell us a bit about that and some of the upcoming exhibitions that's going to be happening there. As as we know with the with the museum that was built in Washington D.C., the, the African American History Museum that was built in D.C. I don't know if anybody's had an opportunity to go there. If you do, go there and be ready. Take some tissue with you now. <laughs> and, and you maybe need to take a couple of days because right. it's, it's 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 so moving, so stirring, so educating. It's, it's everything that you could want to know about yourself and your people. Okay. That has caught fire, and there's museums like that, are, are pretty similar to that, or on that scale, popping up all over the country. And that's what we're going to do here in Sarasota. We're going to build a Sarasota African American Cultural and History Center. And we don't we're not talking about some old house that some black person used to live in and mm -hmm. stick some old furniture in and say, hey, this is our museum. No, we're building a museum and cultural center. Nice. And we we want to have that as a a tourist center, just like all these other museums around here in our city, and and, and be able to attract that type of uh, uh, visitation and those type of programs. One Excellent. of the things we're doing right now, if I can get a little shameless plug in. Absolutely. To, to, to uh, point at what we're trying to bring to that center, we have on display at our community center here on loan from the Negro Baseball League Hall of Fame from Kansas City, Missouri, a uh, exhibit of Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill was the first black coach in Major League Baseball. He was a famous Negro League baseball player with the Kansas City Monarchs and mm -hmm. established this museum. Right. And you know what the icing on the cake with Mr. O'Neill is? Please tell. He's from Sarasota, Florida. Wow, wow. What an honor. Yeah. What an honor. What, yeah. Talk about community pride. Yes. So if anybody gets a chance, 
Come on down. He's going to be with us a month. He's at the R.L. Taylor Community Center and the history and everything that's in this exhibit. Well, it's, it's overwhelming. You know, I was fortunate enough to meet Mr. O'Neill as a 12 year old boy. I came home one day. He was sitting at the dining room table talking to my dad. He, he, him and my dad, my dad was not the type of guy talked and laughed around with men. So when I saw him at the table with this guy, I was like, who is this guy? And when he left, he said, that's Buck. I said, Buck, who's that? Buck O'Neill. Who's Buck O'Neill? Baseball player. I said, you talking about like Willie Mays or somebody like that? He said, no, before him. <laughs> so that made me try to find out everything Buck after that. So, yes. Well, thank you so much for uh, uh, being with us and sharing that information. You heard it here, our seat, our table, Walter Gilbert, community historian with Sarasota Newtown Community. You can learn more information by visiting the saacc.com or you can follow them on Facebook. That's Sarasota African American Cultural Coalition. The exhibition, the Buck O'Neill Right on Time exhibition it will be open beginning in February. Again, if you, which we are in February, but if you go to their Facebook page, you will find out more information. Mr. Gilbert, we want to thank you so much for taking your time and visiting our seat, our table. And we look forward to learning more about Sarasota and the African-American community there. Thank you so much. And when you guys come to Sarasota, call me. Absolutely. We'll take that tour. We will take the tour. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, we have Kristen Fawali Thomas, Kristen Thomas, who is with Equal Ground. Equal Ground is a local political organizing group here in Central Florida, and they have started a new initiative take the lead. And so we wanted to find out more information on how residents, people who are interested in making a difference in government, how they can join. Good morning, Kristen. Good morning. How are you? I am doing well. First of all, thank you so much for joining. So Kristen, I have definitely been watching what you're doing, all the efforts that you've been making in our local politics. Thank as you. well as um, on the larger scale. And I know that you have rolled out a new initiative called Take the Lead. So we want to definitely let our listeners, residents in our community know how they can get involved. But first of all, tell us how did Equal Ground come about? Yes. So Equal Ground, we started in 2019. It's a Black-led, Black-focused community center organization really working to build political power here in the state through empowerment, through trainings and education. Um, so we do work in Orange County, Volusia, Seminole, and Pinellas County. So we focus our work um, along the Afro corridor. But there's not a lot of organizations that are Black-led. Um, a lot of them are white-led, and but Black-labored. And so we know how it, how important it is for us to communicate and educate our communities so that they can build um, this political power that we so desperately need in our communities. Excellent, excellent. So with that being said, I noticed that you have Take the Lead Tuesdays. Yes. Take mm -hmm. the Lead Tuesdays, that stuck out to me as I saw a lot of familiar faces 
who are uh, representatives of our uh, local government. So mm -hmm. please tell us more on that and how can we get involved? How can we follow you? Absolutely. So uh, Take the Lead is a Black political training series. And we started this training because there is a, a, a glaring Black leadership and Black training gap um, here in the state of Florida. And so we wanted to address it. You know, like I mentioned before, we believe that there's power in our voice and power in numbers. You know, but if folks are, uh, they don't have the adequate training resources and investment, um, then it's hard for us to see the progress happen in our communities. And so <clears throat> we started this training series back in the summer of 2020. And so that, uh, it was a three-day uh, training series for folks to get politically engaged, learn how, you know, how communication works, how to build political power, how to do coalition building, how to understand Florida government. And so we wanted to relaunch it this year, but we decided to split it up into different segments. And so this last uh, Take the Lead was focused on legislative session. We know legislative session is coming up starting on March 3rd, where all of our state uh, representatives and senators go to Tallahassee to pass laws and to balance our state budget. And so um, the uh, so we launched this Take the Lead for folks to get involved in the process. Oftentimes we are very reactive and we wanted folks to be proactive and be a part of the legislation process. Um, uh, during this session. And so uh, attendees had a chance to, um, you know, learn a, basically a crash course on legislative sessions. So what is session? Who are the key players? How are bills passed? And learn from leaders about, you know, best practices on working with our elected officials and organizing in a virtual world just because, you know, it's just going to look different with COVID. Correct. Um, and then we also had a chance to learn, you know, um, about important bills that are coming up for folks to get involved. And then at the end of this two day training, we tasked, you know, attendees to take action by following legislation that's important to them, calling their elected officials, sending emails and really, you know, just taking ownership of the fact that we play a, a very important role in the legislative process. So attendees who participated in this two-day training received an email that provides them with a toolkit. So they, you know, email templates, um, phone call templates, and just provided them with a, 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 a lot of resources for them to be able to start this process. Because a lot of people, they're just getting involved in politics or in this legislative process for the first time. Um, wow. and then, what you refer to as Take the Lead Tuesdays, first, for those who weren't able to, you know, participate in that particular Take the Lead session, we are going to, um, to really just uh, um, interview a Black leader and just learn more about their story. So it's just another opportunity for folks to just get involved in their, in their, you know, Black leadership skills, if you will, and just hurt and learn from people who are doing just amazing things um, in this political space. And so that takes place every Tuesday um, around noon. Um, and then for people who are interested in getting involved, uh, you are more than welcome to sign up for our newsletter, where we'll be providing weekly updates during legislative session about important bills that um, that are coming up. Okay. A couple questions, Kristen. Sure. You said it takes place on Tuesday. Take the lead. Where does it take place? On Facebook, Instagram? Yes, so it will be placed on ours pre-recorded and then we upload it around lunchtime on Tuesdays on Facebook and Instagram. 
Okay, and that's uploaded on Take the Lead or Equal Ground? Yes, no, on uh, Equal Ground's page. So it, Take the Lead is just a, one of our program series, but it will be uploaded on our Instagram and Facebook page, Equal Ground's Facebook and Instagram page. Excellent. Is there any pre-requirements? If someone is interested in learning more, joining the programming, are there any pre-requirements? Is there um, a, a beginning age? Do they have to be a particular age? No, um, there's no requirements. We just ask that you stay committed and stay, you know, focused and participate actively during the trainings. But we have had people participate when we started last year and then this last take the lead session. Um, we had people that you know, or have, have uh, years of experience in working in, uh, in this political space. And then we've had people that are just like, hey, I see things happening in my community that I'm not happy about, but politics isn't my nine to five and I just want to learn. So okay. there's people okay. from various levels um, on, uh, you know, on this, on this, but the the most important thing is that you don't have to be super, you know, into politics to just recognize that we have a voice and recognize the importance of, you know, us, all of us just being involved in what happens uh, to us in our communities. Okay, and one last, any, any, um, any fees? Are there any upfront fees? Absolutely not. This training series is free for anyone who, who attends. Um, you just, it's your time. And we hope that your time is well spent, but it's just an investment in, um, in your time to participate. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. Kristen, I cannot thank you enough for joining us. No, uh, thank you. Yes. We realized how important that having a inclusive government, mm -hmm. I think um, Winter Park is definitely one of those mm -hmm. cities in yep. which we need a really strong and robust form of government, meaning a more inclusive, uh, inclusive voices in order for the real concerns of the community to be heard. So I will definitely be passing your information on to other yes. people that I feel will benefit from this and begin to give them um, the confidence in which they can move forward, in which to engage in, in actual civic, civic engagement in their communities. Absolutely. And if, if I can just say one last thing, um, the uh, we're doing three more uh, Take the Lead trainings this year. So our second Take the Lead big training is going to be centered around uh, specifically for Black women growing in this political space. Our third um, one, which will happen this summer, is for anyone who wants to work on campaigns or work for a political organization like Equal Ground. And then our last one is going to be a Black um, um, candidate training. So any Black uh, leaders who are planning to run for office in the near future, this is going to be a great opportunity for them. So there's going to be uh, three additional um, take the lead training series. But if anyone just wants to just kind of catch up and see, just get, uh, you know, some quick best practices and they can catch us every Tuesday on social media. Got it. Got it. Got it. That is Kristen Kuali Thomas, Equal Ground with the new program in Take the Lead. You are listening to Our Seat, Our Table. You can hear Our Seat, Our Table on Spotify.com as well as WPRK.org. 
our seat, our table leadership lounge is where we bring to you community members, community builders who have created effective programming in which to change the landscape of the African-American community. Up next, we have Andrew Brown with the Artist Spotlight. Good morning, Mr. Brown with an E. <laughs> Good morning. How is everyone? Good Friday morning. Once again, this is Andrew Brown, and I'm bringing you this week's Artist Spotlight with a Central Florida organization that is dedicated to bringing Black talent to the table. We are so excited to have Mika King on with us this morning. Good morning, Mika. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. So glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I gave a little bit of spiel about CFEA, but I know that you have all of the better details to give us. Start off, tell us about what is the CFEA and why was it necessary to start it? So I'll just, um, I'll give you a little bit of history. We And I, it's funny that I'm saying history and we are um, literally a three month old organization. That's history. Um, <laughs> that spans um, seven months of, of work. And um, it, just to be perfectly honest, we, we did not set out to be an organization. However, um, as you know, last year, our entire nation was stilled as a result of COVID. We were at home and we were, you know, just in a place where there were no distractions. And so when we witnessed the heinous deaths of um, three Black people back to back, um, and, and mind you, knowing the Black community already knowing that this was nothing new, that this has been happening for as long as we can remember. But because we were at a place where the nation was stilled and we had no distractions, everyone was listening and everyone was paying attention. And so I think at that point, um, you know, because of the, the racial unrest that resulted and um, just the fact that it caused us to pull the covers off of everything in this country, all of the systems, all of the structures, all of the institutions, the systemic oppression, um, the racism, the bias, the bigotry that has been going on for so long, you know, we couldn't, it, it, the covers were off and there was no way you could hide it. And so I think every sector um, of business in our country, you know, was under the microscope and entertainment was no different. Um, I split time a lot between New York and Orlando and uh, Broadway decided to do a forum, the Broadway Advocacy Coalition decided to do a forum. It was a three-day forum where they really highlighted these issues, um, but it was very specific to Broadway. And I thought at that moment, you know, how impactful it would be for us to examine these same structures and mentalities and traditions and, and powers here in Central Florida. And uh, so I got a, a very small group of people together and we did our own forum here based off of the forum that the Broadway Advocacy Coalition did. And it was it was so powerful. We spent um, the first day was for black industry professionals only. And we uh, gathered to share our stories, to support and encourage one another and to also strategize about how we want to um, bring change to this community. And the second day we were able to bring allies in and we 
you know, we shared our stories with them. We got vulnerable. We let them know these are the things that are going on. You know, some of you are culprits <laughs> and, and, and these are just some of the things that some of you need to know. And the third day we focused on, on education, the barriers of, of entry, the, um, the obstacles that, that we face and, and the systems that are in place that um, support those obstacles, um, education being a, a huge one. And, and then we, you know, we, we presented the community with points of action, um, tangible uh, action steps that, that theaters and entertainment companies and arts institutions can, can take to, um, to, to make this better. So by the time we got to the third day of the forum, I already had an inbox full of people requesting meetings. <laughs> and we knew that you know just because the forum was concluding that um, it didn't mean that the work was done. So since then, we've been steadily building, having the, the difficult conversations, making the difficult demands, um, you know, doing the difficult eva evaluations and pressing for the change that needs to happen. So um, in November, we became an official organization because I knew that I could not carry this load <laughs> of work on my own. And so we got a group of people together, a larger group of people um, who were committed to the work as well. And so we've, we've all been, you know, little by little, there's a lot to be done. There's so much to be done. But little by little, you know, in, in our different sectors, we are chipping away at, you know, this age old problem. Who in the region does CFEA partner with? So basically right now we are a liaison and um, based in essentially what that means is that we are trying to bridge the gap between leadership, black industry professionals and various institutions. So as of right now, we have meetings that we have with the theater community, leaders in the theater community from various theaters in Central Florida, also the entertainment gig community, and pretty much all of the entertainment gig companies are represented in, the, in those meetings that we've had so far. And now we just branched out to include visual arts, so visual arts and cultural arts. And so uh, we're having meetings with leaders in, in those sectors as well. Talk about the CFEA Black Book and how that is important to achieving your and the organization's mission. So like I said, uh, our, our main focus is dismantling these systems that perpetuate this, this problem of having an industry that is not wholly diverse or representative of the de demographics um, in our area. And that is not equitable in the way that we see our representation. So we feel that the best way to dismantle that and the way to tackle that is through leadership. You know, if you have people who look like us, who are in the seats of decision, who are the ones who are, um, you know, making the decisions, you start to see change. And that's something that is really missing from the arts and entertainment industry. Um, a lot of the decision makers are not people of color. So in order to foster more leadership opportunities and better leadership decisions, we decided to create the CFEA Black Book. And it is still under construction. We're still building it right now. But what the Black Book will be essentially is a resource. Um, because a lot of times what we hear in this industry is, well, well, we didn't know anyone. 
and we didn't know anyone was there. And so we feel like this will give us the opportunity to um, present all of the, the leadership and the talent in this community that are black industry professionals and, and it'll be right there at their fingertips. And no one will ever have the excuse that, oh, I just didn't know because here they are, you know, at the click of, you know, your mouse um, available for you to do your research and find out who is, who is in the area and what they have to offer. So we're super excited about this, um, about this resource and um, it'll take some time to build it up, but um, we've already got a lot of excitement um, about it and, 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 a lot of uh, companies and institutions are already ready to put it to work. And indirectly, they've been putting it to work through, you know, just uh, just calling on us um, directly. Who do you know? And, and we don't mind that because, you know, we want people to get intentional about seeking out, you know, what's been missing in this industry for so long. So so once that is up and running, we'll have I mean, when I say everything from actors to singers to dancers and choreographers to artistic directors to musical directors to composers and arrangers to um, production heads to lighting sound design set design we want every aspect of the industry represented um, th- through this black book and and we will have individuals you know represented there that people can pull on and draw from I should say that this is this is so awesome. I know the fashion industry has a a fifteen percent pledge where they can get uh, businesses and brands to sign on to get at least fifteen percent of their shelf space for retailers or their inventory to be from black owned businesses. Is there an ideal percentage or is there a goal that you all have in mind to get Black creatives and Blacks in the entertainment industry involved behind the scenes as decision makers? So that's something we've been fleshing out. And one of the one of the difficult things about this representation in, in the arts and in theater is tokenism. And what mm-hmm. we don't want to do is have people check a box. Mm-hmm. We don't want people to feel like, okay, I've got my two black people and there it is, or I've got my one Hispanic person, here it is. Mm-hmm. But we also understand that in order to set benchmarks and have you know, tangible progress that we're working towards, we, we have to start somewhere. So we've been fleshing out what we feel is fair in that regard as an organization we feel that you know it has to be reflective of the demographics so you know if if you are in an area that is 50% hispanic but your shows are 2% hispanic then obviously that's not reflective of the demographic in which you live so we want to take inventory of the the companies and the theaters that are in the area and and educate them about the demographics and encourage them to cast or to hire according to what it look what their surrounding area looks like and we feel like that's a fair starting place but my goal and this is just personally like i'm not going to be satisfied until it is not abnormal for me to see black people in in different spaces you know, where it's not surprising to me anymore 
to, to see Black people occupying different spaces. That's when I'm going to be satisfied. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, we have a long way to go <laughs> to get to that. But, you know, when I'm not shocked to see three Black people on a stage or when I'm not shocked to see that a theater has a Black artistic director, you know, when it, when it becomes normalized that we occupy these spaces because we have the intelligence, the talent, the wherewithal, the education to do so. Absolutely. Last question, Mika, how can organizations and the community get involved? Give us how people can reach out to you and the organization to learn more and to participate. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, we have a Facebook group right now that we really want to to grow that's the way that we want to grow our community so you can connect with us on facebook it's the if you search the central florida entertainment advocacy you will find our page and um you know we have some uh, some questions just to make sure that you know it is a space where people are joining who are allies or, or who are black industry professionals and people of color who are interested in moving towards progression and change so that facebook group is there we also have a website which is cfeanow.org that's cfeanow.org and we have a ton of resources available on our website and ways that you can connect with us on our website. We have a mailing list as well. If you join our, our mailing list, you will be privy to all of the information that we have coming out when we send out mailers and newsletters. But please, 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 I encourage everyone to, you know, our, our, I like to say that our website is kind of an experience. You know, it's, it's got educational resources. It's got ally resources. It's got community resources, mental health, and just so many things there that you could probably spend a couple of hours just, you know, getting acquainted with what we do and who we are. So please connect with us. It would be amazing to have, you know, more people building our community here. Absolutely. I just joined right now. Hopefully you see my invite and accept me in. And I hope yes. <laughs> all of you all do the same. Mika King, thank you so much. This has been Mika from Central Florida Entertainment Advocacy Group. And before I go, I would love for you all to join me tomorrow from noon to five at the Mount Dora Center for the Arts. I'm closing out Black History Month along with my partner by giving a lecture on African-Americans in the fashion industry and throughout fashion history, celebrating the coloring book that we put out, celebrating our cultural influence on the industry. So I hope to see you all there. Barbara, who do we have coming up next? Up next, we have Lavonda Wilder. Lavonda is going to be speaking with Ray Wharton with Zion Infinite Farms. Hi, Barbara. Thank you again for having us on the show today. Ray, how are you? Yeah, this is uh, Ray Warthen. Last name is Warthen. It's German, unfortunately. Uh, it's, 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 it's Ray Warthen. Uh, people say it wrong all the time. It's okay. Uh, and it's Infinite Zion Farms. How are you all today? We're good. I first met you or discovered you on Facebook a couple of years ago when your farm was in a popka. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> yes. And I was so excited to see you on Facebook and to see the things that you were doing. I went back last night and looked at your Facebook and 
realize you have close to 2,000 followers now. Wow. I know. Uh, it's, it's, that's definitely uh, surprising to me to see that, uh, that grown that fast um, uh, from the time we started this. And uh, I just try to educate the people as well at the same time and keep it informative on the farm. Well, how yeah. does it feel when you realize the effect that you're having <laughs> on people in the farming program? Because when we think yeah. of farming, the farmers of yesteryear, we definitely don't imagine Ray when we see Ray. How does that feel? And tell me about some of the comments that you're met with when people realize that you are the engineer and the person responsible for Infinite Zion Farms. Yes, yes. Uh, I've been a very busy man and a family man as well. Yes, my regular day job, I'm a project engineer for the Brightline High Street Real Project. That's what I do in the daytime. But my passion is farming, and uh, it's definitely gratifying through a lot of hard work for over five years now. We've been at this to finally gain the attention and, and gather the attention, to, uh, attention to we have to eat, eat healthier. And we were doing great up until COVID-19 in March last year. Um, people were panicking all over the city because COVID-19 hit, the stores were running out of food, produce, and here we are staying on both of our gardens. Like, man, I feel bad if everybody's running to the store to get produce, and we're staying in a whole garden and farm with a full freezer of uh, produce as well. And um, it was definitely, uh, after COVID-19, sustainability hit, especially in that environment. And Paramore has been uh, pretty much systemically brought down through redlining and uh, racial developments that's been occurring since the 1920s. I'll tell everyone that's why I'm very keen about bringing Paramore pretty much back from the gentrification that is going through now. And uh, we're one of the first and only black farming organizations that are down there. It comes from a real deal farm um, down there to make a difference. And we're definitely making improvements uh, for the neighborhood there. Awesome. I'm going to paraphrase what our earlier speaker said, Ms. Mika King, that you are doing your part in normalizing what it looks like to see people of color in your profession. What do you yeah. want the community to know about Ray the farmer? Oh, man. Um, I, I always tell people, I tell my wife all the time, you know, I want to leave a legacy behind for myself and the community there because our kids can't inherit our jobs. And um, I definitely leave that footprint and make that permanent impact and change to true sustainability for the Paramore community. And my passion for farming and gardening came from my father. Um, I heard my mom were married 38 years before my father passed away at age 59 to prostate cancer. And through his sickness is when I learned about alkali eating, acidic-based eating, and the foods that we should be eating as a black culture because a lot of our ailments stem from eating food that is not of our culture. Um, so it's my goal to re-educate and reprogram our communities on eating produce and food, fruits and vegetables that we should be consuming as African-American people, along teaching them sustainable raised bed gardening. And, and we just got the funding. We're, I just finished building the foundation as engineer for an aeroponics greenhouse. So we're getting ready to build an 8 by 20 foot greenhouse that's going to um, contain in the whole aeroponics laboratory, an aeroponics system, which saves 90 95% water and is a whole new development in vertical farming. Mm. I, I had to take a moment to take all of that in. That is interesting and amazing. 
definitely amazing and impressive. I can't wait till it's completed so that I can visit and have a look at it. I have one last question for you, Ray, but I always say that and I come up with something else. You're so interesting. Hip hop yeah. and healthy eating. What oh, does yeah. that mean to you or say to you? What well, does it look like? <laughs> So when we first got to Paramore, I, I, an interesting story, I'll tell you, when we first got over there, uh, we first started gardening on uh, Sharif Shabazz. He's one of our lead master gardeners. He just left to go to Ghana. He's actually building, uh, we're building a, a farm and so solar and an urban farm over there. When we first got to South Sugar Farm, the police, unfortunately, pulled up and they uh, said, hey, what, what's going on over here? You guys, you know, breaking in and entering? And Sharif was telling the gentleman, no, we're just building the farm. And I walked up to him and said, hey, officer. I'm Ray Warden, Zion Farms. How can I help you? Well, I see you guys in the gate here. I see uh, this is a city-owned property. I said, yes, uh, we're helping the city and building an actual urban farm. I said, I have my permit if you'd like to see it. And when you saw the tone, when you saw that, whoa, wait a minute, it's kind of educating a black man. Let me, let me take a step back. I helped him understand that we're businessmen, first and foremost, and no need to approach from a hostile standpoint. Come and speak to us. And that was gratifying seeing that we can do this as a, as a black people. We moved over 25 tons of earth and rock to what you see now at South Street River Farm. We did all that by hand. And uh, it, was, it was a gratifying feeling to be able to do that for the community and communicating with them because one general asked about, hey, Ray, you're playing all this jazz music. What's what jazz music for? I said, well, this is the sound of Paramore back in the 1920s, 40s, up to 1960s where all the jazz greats We'll stay at the Wells Built Museum, but they weren't allowed to stay on the white side of town on Division Avenue. So Tuesdays, we play more jazz and more culture music. And um, Thursdays, we call it TOT, Thugged Out Thursdays, where we play, uh, you know, music that the community can relate to, let them know we're here for them and we're playing music. And the Saturdays are old school Saturdays. We play a lot of old school hip hop. And people come out and dance in the street and the neighborhood all over. And it just brings unity. And the whole community slows down the music because, Plants also love the music and the people love the music as well. Awesome. You have definitely found a way to put a new twist on farming, reaching generations from if you get the parents there and you entertain the kids, then you have a su successful community. Thank you so much, Ray, for introducing us to Infinite Zion Farms, the farmer, the farm, the initiatives for future generations to come. Can you give us your contact information and then we'll let you go and, and enjoy some of this beautiful yeah. vitamin D that's available. Oh, yeah. They're soaking a lot of vitamin D today for sure. Uh, yes, our website is www.infinitezionfarms.org. You can also reach us on Facebook, and we have a, um, uh, a Facebook volunteer page, Zion Farms Volunteers. And we're even on uh, Amazon Smile as a nonprofit organization. You can reach us out uh, there. And I want to let the community and the people know we started a community-supported agriculture uh, program where we're giving our $5 bag, produce bags, and we just received sponsoring uh, from Orlando Health and Advent Health to help push this initiative forward and spanning out our programs to help bring more sustainability in classes. We'll be teaching the future about aeroponics to the community and anyone is inter interested in our CSA program. And our free reach us at 404-969-5351. I'm Ray Warden. I'm the founder of Zion, and uh, I thank you all for having me as well. Thank you so much, Ray, for sharing all of these golden nuggets with us. And we can't wait to visit the farm and see what else you have going by the time we see you again. Have an amazing, amazing day. 
Uh, thank you all. Thank you all as well. Appreciate your time. Bye bye. Wow. Thank you so much, Lavanda. Wow. That was excellent. What a great lineup, but we are not finished yet. We have our call to action. I cannot say enough about Rosemary Johnson, a newlywed certified yoga instructor. I, uh, I find myself kind of burning, feeling burnt out and looking for new ways in which to energize. And I know that we are going into March Madness and what better time. We spoke with Ray just a few minutes ago, the importance of eating healthy, having access to healthy gardening, fresh vegetables and fruits available to you in your community. So paired with that now, we're gonna bring on Rosemary that can also give us some tips on wellness that can take us through March Madness. Um, Rosemary, good morning and welcome to our seat, our table. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So, Miss Rosemary, as a yoga instructor, we are very busy people. Um, we have been through a lot. 2020 was a lot for us, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the protests. Um, our, our lives were changed, and, and, and they have been changed. I don't see us going back. We're doing things differently in our business. A lot of virtual programming which can also be stressful as well. So we want you to give us some tips on how we can maintain our wholeness, our wellness as we, we approach March Madness. Yes, so being that I am a yoga instructor, one of the first things that I always suggest is yoga because you do not have to be flexible or super athletic to get into yoga. There are many different ways that you can practice yoga. You can slowly get into it by just taking five minutes a day and slowly stretching, listening to your body. Um, don't push yourself too hard, but slowly just doing easy stretches and then building up, adding a few minutes each day or even every week, adding a few more minutes to a yoga sequence that you enjoy, that you found online, or that you've um, learned from a yoga class or a one-on-one -on -one training. Another really good thing that we can do to stay active, I really like to encourage people to let their inner kid out. Mm, I, I agree. My inner kid is always ready to come out and play. <laughs> yes, so you can let your inner child out by just going outside and playing. You can run. You can jump rope, playing with, um, if you have children in your family that you could play with, playing with them or playing with other big kids like ourselves. So um, one thing that my husband and I like to do, we will go outside and play sometimes. So mm -hmm. whatever basketballs or um, uh, racquetballs that we have and paddles that we could play with, We'll just go outside and and have fun with it. We end up chasing the ball more than anything. <laughs> so that's that's always a fun way to just stay active. Sometimes going for a walk just around your neighborhood to just get some fresh air. I I heard someone mention enjoying the vitamin D. We have beautiful sun outside. So just getting outside and moving your body a little bit with whatever feels best for you. For some it may be yoga. Some mm -hmm. people may 
prefer going for a walk or dancing. Definitely but, dancing for me. Yeah. What, what about for those like myself, Andrew, a lot of times we are in the office or working in our home office. What type of exercise or breathing techniques can you share with us when we're starting to feel, a lot of us are now isolated. We're working um, by ourselves as opposed to working, you know, at the office where we were engaging with people. What tips can you share with us to get us through those, those uh, rough patches during the day? So deep breathing is something that is so important. And I know that a lot of times we feel like we're breathing deeply, but we aren't. We're taking short, shallow breaths a lot of the times. So making up in your mind, I'm going to set some time aside to just do some deep breathing, put on some relaxing music and just take some deep breaths. So a good way to get into mindful breathing um, is to begin with like four part breathing. So you'll take four for four seconds, breathing in, holding it for four seconds, and then exhaling for four seconds. So that's a good way to just get some deep breaths into your lungs, um, refreshing your mind. And of course, if we're working at the computer all day, another great thing to do is get up from the computer and take those deep breaths away from the computer. So whether that's just walking around your home for a few minutes, um, walking around and taking some deep breaths, rolling your shoulders, giving yourself a little massage, um, rotating your neck in a circle, because a lot of times if we're sitting at the computer all day, we tend to end up hunched over. So straightening out your back, lengthening your spine, rolling those shoulders back, and taking deep breaths as we're doing all of that. Mm. As you're speaking, Andrew and I are actually doing those actions. You would be extremely proud of both of us. How does one get in touch with you to schedule a session? How do we contact you, Rosemary Johnson? On Facebook, you can find me under Rosemary Johnson. And I'm on Instagram under simply Rosemary or Rosemary the Yogi, Y-O-G-I. Wow, thank you so much, Rosemary. Uh, we wanna thank all of our guests. What a full and vibrant panel we had this Friday. Kristen Fuwali with Equal Ground, Walter Gilbert, community historian out of Newtown, Sarasota, Mika King, the lead organizer with Central Florida's Entertainment Advocacy Group. We had Ray Wharton with Infinite Zion Farms, Rosemary Johnson, a certified yoga instructor. I want to thank Andrew Brown. That's Andrew Brown with an E. Also, you can follow, where can they follow you, Andrew? You guys can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Color Brown. That's B-R-O-W-N-E. Yes. LaVonda Wilder with the Eatonville Chamber of Commerce. And LaVonda Wilder, you all have an event coming up this week in Eatonville. Yes, they have a Black History program coming up in Eatonville this Saturday from 11 to 2 at the Denton Johnson Center. So if you have some time and you're looking for events, 
Andrew, you mentioned the event in Mount Dora. Yes. So tomorrow we will be at the Mount Dora Center for the Arts from 12 to 5, giving a lecture on African-Americans in fashion history. Uh, as many of you know, we put out a coloring book featuring 40 of the greatest icons in fashion history. So we're giving a lecture on those 40 people and their contributions. So we hope to see you all there. Yes, yes, yes. Once again, we want to thank our listeners. You are listening to our seat, our table leadership lounge. You can listen to us on Spotify.com. You can listen to us on WPRK and you can listen to us on 91.5. We just want you to listen to us. Thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you again next week.